Hello, and welcome to Live Like the World is Dying, your podcast for what feels like the end times. I'm your host today, Margaret Kiljoy. And this week, okay, so you know how sometimes I have these shows and it's basically like I find people who talk to me about the things that I've decided I'm really interested in that week. Well, this is one of those examples. And so I'm really excited about it. And I think you'll all be excited about it too. Because this week, I am talking to Pat, who works outside for a living. And he uh, gets to do search and rescue and help people access uh, parks because he is a backwoods person at a national park. And yeah, I don't know. I I think I'm excited for the conversation. I can't tell you what's going to be in it because I haven't done it yet because I record these before I do the interview instead of afterwards. But this podcast is a proud member of the Channel Zero Network of Anarchist Podcasts, and here's a jingle from another show on the network. Ba 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 ba. I'll say Benny down. From Embers, anarchist perspectives from the territory currently occupied by the Canadian state. Find us wherever you get your podcasts or on the Channel Zero Network. Okay, and we're back. Uh, Pat, so if you could introduce yourself with your name, your pronouns, and then just like a little bit about the work you do. Yeah. So um, I'm Pat, uh, he, him. I am a backcountry ranger for the National Park Service, and I've been doing it for about 10 years. So I basically just hike around, talk with people, help out with search and rescue, clean toilets, do whatever needs doing. Yeah? Hell yeah. Okay, I have one question up front. Yes. Okay, once when I was doing this forest campaign Mm -hmm. in a national forest, so not the Park Service, but... Um, you know, mm-hmm. the National Forest Service. There was this pit toilet, and because you brought up <laughs> toilets, um, there was this pit toilet and had a door, and we would prop the door open to avoid oh, it smelling. But then mm-hmm. the ranger came by and yelled at us and says that it works better. The like ventilation system is built on the door being closed. But then huh. other times, I feel like I've seen ones that say leave the door open. What yeah. is, what's the deal? That is. I'm going to chalk it up to every toilet in the back country is different. So maybe one of them was like designed uh-huh. in such a way with specific ventilation systems. Cause they get pretty high tech. We have some that have like little like solar powered, like computer fans that will like vent air out and get Whoa. fresh air in to try to dry them out. It's kind of neat. It's a huge okay. part of the job. Okay. This was like 20 years ago. I think that probably not. I don't think there was a solar powered. panel, yeah. but. Yeah. I just couldn't figure out whether she was like fucking with us because she didn't like us or whether she was just like annoyed at these like idiots who thought they knew about the woods but didn't. No, well, the reason they gave may have not been like 100% accurate. Like one thing that comes to mind is it mm-hmm. really sucks, but like, you know, critters find their way down into there. And so if the door is open, like, you know, a raccoon oh, or yeah. something may find down there and like it really sucks because oftentimes they get down there and they can't get out and, uh, you know, at my park, we shovel all of that human yeah. waste out into buckets and hike it out. And uh, sometimes, you know, little chipmunks and stuff are in there. It's really sad. So, <laughs> yeah. 
Is there like a a back entrance where you can go down and access the pit? Or do you have to just literally like drop buckets and like it's a terrible well? Oh no, we those structures are literally just like you just No, you just like rock them and like move the wooden structures off. They're not secured to the ground. <laughs> oh, and then you I put see. a hole in the okay. ground and you just okay. post hole diggers. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Um uh, that's fun. Uh, I'm glad that this is the first question I asked yeah, you. It's part of the job. Sorry. <laughs> going to turn all the No, no, on. no. I asked you. Um, yeah. No, and I think that that's like, okay. I mean, it even gets kind of like, um, when I would do any kind of forest defense or anything that involved living in the woods, mm-hmm. I feel like one of the main signs of like a newbie in a bad way yeah. was people who didn't dig a hole before they took a shit. Yes. You know? Yes. Um, and so the stuff that when you're like in houses and stuff that you mm-hmm. sort of take for granted, you can't take for granted when you're not. Yep. yep. So it sort of makes sense that shit is the defining <laughs> characteristic of all of this. Yeah, it's kind of fun. But uh, speaking of shitty jobs, <laughs> I had yeah. to do the pun at least once. I'm very sorry. Um, <laughs> what got you deciding that you want to work outside? I feel like I was kind of like destined for it <laughs> kind of a weird way to put it I was basically mm-hmm. my first backpacking trip was before I could walk my dad put me on his shoulders and I was out in the woods when I was still in diapers um grew up doing boy scouts so I was backpacking basically once a month and so I just continuously did that mm-hmm. essentially my whole life and then weirdly enough in college kind of fell off for a bit and then you know graduated and decided to volunteer and been doing it ever since okay and you moved from volunteer to now this is what you do professionally right yeah that's kind of the primary path to get in um if you're not coming from some sort of like military background or something you kind of have to volunteer or do an internship or something like that um it's a pretty small community so like getting your foot in the door learning the lingo it's kind of important uh and having a name that a hiring manager can call for a reference check that's like in the system. Yeah. Is that kind of an important deal? That makes sense. Yeah. Kind of a small community. What do you like about it? Like, I think that a lot of people listen. So the reason I wanted to have you on part of yeah. it is a, about search and rescue stuff, which I want yeah. to talk to yeah. you about in a bit. But part of what I want to have you on is um, I think that a lot of the listeners, a lot of the listeners do either work outside or spend like, like I actually work inside, but almost all of my hobbies and I make it this way on purpose, mm-hmm. take me outside. Yeah. Right. And then yeah. I often sort of live outside. Yep. Right. I don't yep. currently, but I have at various points. Mm-hmm. But I think that a lot of people are looking for ways to get outside and don't like their current work or don't have work at all or whatever. Um, and so I guess I, I want to ask you about like what you like and don't like about having a job that has you outside all the time? Yeah. Um, I mean, it's, I love that my job take like requires me to be out there. It's like such a huge boost for mental health and everything. Um, it's nice that I don't have to like Mm -hmm. take time off from my family to go out and get those experiences. So that's, that's really huge. Um, yeah, the outdoors is like a, it's a, I'm sure a lot of people that go out, regularly have the experience where it's 
even if you're not religious or anything, but like, it's kind of got a spiritual element to it where you're just like out in it, in the wilderness by yourself or even with a small group. And it's just uh, refreshing, you know, it, it fills you up. Uh, so that's huge that I get to do that and I get yeah. paid for it. And I get to, I think most of all, I get to help people get out to get in, get into it, pointing out trails, conditions, things like yeah. that. Um, it's really cool to have a job where I can like materially help people on a day to day basis. You know, when you like recommend a day hike and someone comes back, like all sweaty, but smiling and like, thanks you for it. You know, it's a, it's a good feeling. Yeah. Yeah. So you're like the human all trails. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, I've got a little bit of a beef with all trails, but that's <laughs> maybe another oh. conversation. Wait, I want to hear because I've been using yeah. all trails. I, and maybe this is just me, but I dislike how all trails chunks everything down into like little specific trails. So like people come in mm -hmm. and they ask about like this one trail and it's got a name that I've never heard of. And I'm like, oh, you're talking about like this section of the trail going up to here. Like... I'm much more like destination based. Um, well, that's just me. Like, mm -hmm. you know, people like it and it's really great for finding new stuff. You have the maps right there, which is really great. Although I don't think it's as robust of a GPS tool as some of the other apps, but um, yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. You'd, it's got some weird stuff with like I, some of the information isn't always accurate. So don't trust it a hundred percent. Is what I'm getting at. Yeah. yeah. I have noticed that, but, it never takes me to the right place to start a trail, um, <laughs> which I feel like is like, it's just trying to keep me honest. It's trying to like, make sure I learn how to read maps, right? <laughs> because it takes me to the wrong spot. Um, but it doesn't do it when I'm like in the backwoods as much, right? Like okay. yeah. backwoods is an exaggeration of the kind yeah. of hikes I do. But, <laughs> um, okay. No, no, no. And it, I mean, cause one of the things that I, I almost dislike about when I started using it is mm -hmm. that I'm like, it's kind of like when I'm driving and I used to drive without a GPS and drive yeah. across the country and all that. And now I drive with a GPS and mm -hmm. I know exactly how many minutes are left in my yeah. drive. Yeah. It's a little weird that I've brought that into my hiking life. I admit. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Come on, cat. But I do like that. Um, there have been a couple times where I've been hiking and I'm like, I don't know where this fucking trail is. Where the fuck <laughs> am I? And it's been like, you're in the wrong place. And I'm like, thank God. Yeah. Um, good job. Mapping so. tool. <laughs> yeah. There, yeah, it's exactly. A, it's amazing now how like, I just like how the phones now like have replaced so many yeah. tools in my backcountry, you know, pack, you know, it's like my, it's my camera, it's my GPS. Yeah. It's, you know, I listen to podcasts when I'm hiking and you know, it's, yeah, it's kind of cool. Yeah. Very powerful. Yeah. No, I, I, I like it too. I used to hike around with a, like a SLR and I'm glad I don't anymore. Um, <laughs> That's a lot of weight. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So how does it affect you? You talked about like, like one of the things that you said about working outdoors that actually seemed really interesting to me that seemed really cool is that you don't have to take time away from your family to do it. Cause it is the thing you're combining the yeah. thing that you want to be doing and yeah. the thing yeah. That you do for work. Yeah. Um, how else does it affect your life working outside or even specifically yeah. working for the park service? Yeah. So, you know, I have a family, I have a wife and kid at home. So, but where I work is, you know, it's a good couple hours away from where my wife and kid are. 
So um, it can be a little mm -hmm. bit challenging at times. And I'm, I'm really lucky that I've got the situation that I do because my wife has a decent job with all the benefits and everything. And I'm a, I'm a seasonal employee. So mm -hmm. I, I'm working May to October and then I get let go. And so in the winter months, it's kind of worked out where I'm able to be a stay at home dad, take care of my kiddo. Um, yeah, she's, it's, it's nice. pretty, it works out really well. And as she's starting school, I'm just transitioning to a homemaker, which is kind of working out pretty nicely. I just get to bake bread and do the laundry and all that fun stuff. Um, it's, it's pretty great. Yeah. It's a, it's a good, good setup, but in the summers I end up being away from my family. Um, I go home on my weekends, but you know, I spend four days at a time out here in the back country and in the office and yeah, you know, it kind of stinks, but I'm out in the woods and I get so much family time in the actual winter that it, it, it kind of evens out. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, it sounds like it has advantages over yeah. almost every like office job. Like, yeah. <laughs> even though like my parents came home every day, both of them worked easily 12 hour days most days, you know? Yeah. And so, and my, um, my wife's job allows her to travel in the summers. So like they go and visit family, like they're mm -hmm. off doing stuff. So I, you know, the couple months where they're off doing those kinds of things, you know, it's not terrible. It let's me go off and do my own thing on my days off. So it works out nicely. Yeah. What would you say for like, I'm, I'm obviously, I presume you can only speak specifically to park service or whatever, but do mm -hmm. you know much about like other outdoors jobs or like what yeah. kind of like, Actually, like, I what worked, would you say to someone who's like thinking about working outdoors? Yeah, so I've I've worked closely with some Forest Service stuff, uh, Forest Service people. I had a, shared an office with them for a couple of years. Yeah, so you don't just have to work for the government to work in the outdoors. Um, you know, there are a variety of like jobs working for federal or state agencies. You know, there's wildland fire. Um, there's jobs that take you outdoors if you're interested in like biology. Um, you know, there's people that go out and survey frogs and that's their whole, their whole job is they spend the summers at Alpine lakes, just like doing frog surveys, which is pretty cool. Um, but there's also some of the non-government jobs, um, you know, there's guiding services, you know, the folks that take people up those mountains like Denali and Rainier, they're private, private companies. Um, so that's a job that you can get in mm -hmm. there. And also it's not necessarily in the outdoors, um, but adjacent to it, you know, all those national parks have concessions, you know, private companies that run the, uh, the hotels and the shuttle services and all, all of that stuff. Um, so you don't even necessarily like mm -hmm. have to be a park ranger to like work in Yosemite or something like that. You know, you, you can be like a line cook and still live in the Valley and be able to go day hiking in those gorgeous places on your days off. So, Okay, so I actually first ran across you because I put out a call saying I'm interested in talking to people who work with search and rescue. And I had initially thought of, and I'll probably interview some other people about this, and who knows what order they'll come out. So maybe you're hearing this after I've already put out some other ones. Um, but I was originally thinking about volunteer search and rescue, right? And the, the groups that do it uh, region, yeah. in different regions. But you do search and rescue as part of your work. And I wanted to talk to you about that, about what search and rescue is like. And, and just to, the reason I got really interested in thinking about this 
was I was thinking a lot about how search and rescue is a form of mutual aid that our society puts together and how there's been like, I guess every now and then people try and charge people for search and rescue services and then everyone gets really upset about it. This is like something I'm completely outside of. I just read articles every now and then. And so I kind of wanted to ask you about the field of search and rescue and your work with it and what that's, what's been involved. Yeah. Um, I am kind of, you're, you mentioned it pretty lucky in the search and rescue world in that I get a paycheck for what I do. Um, the park service is unique in that it's part of like our enabling legislation to provide for the safety of our visitors. So most other places, it just goes to the county sheriff. That's just the default county sheriff. They don't have the budget to have a paid search and rescue team. And there's always, always, always volunteers, people willing to step up to help. Um, which is, mm-hmm. yeah, kind of amazing. Um, and yeah, as it's, it's pretty great. Um, we don't ever charge for anything. Um, my park owns a helicopter and we don't charge for pulling people out of places and lifting them everywhere. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's a pretty cool setup that we're able to just purely help and not, not at all worry about money or anything like that. Um, it's pretty great. It's interesting because um, you see it a lot just in everyday, like backcountry interactions with, you know, non-search and rescue personnel too. Where uh, you know, you're you get injured on the in the backcountry, and complete strangers are going to help you, um, no matter what. Like you see someone on the trail, they will help you in pretty much any sort of issue you have. So I, I do love yeah. that about that sort of wilderness aspect. Is that like. Everyone helps each other. It's kind of great. That is a, I think that's a really important point. We had on a, a guest recently who's a a wilderness guide in Arctic regions. Yeah, yeah. And, and how that work um, actually led him to understanding anarchism and non-hierarchical organizing yeah. was that realization of like, of some of the things that come up in the backcountry, and and so this thing that you're talking about about how everyone helps you when you're in the backwoods, I think about like I'm a real weird looking person by most of society's standards, mm-hmm. and if I am in most, if I'm in the backcountry, if I am on a hike anywhere other than like kind of like a weird city trail or something, mm-hmm. no one looks at me weird. Everyone yep. just like nods like they yep. do everyone else. Everyone's and. Hello. It's yeah. and it reminds me. Go ahead. Oh, it's just yeah. It's 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 amazing. People just say hi. They wave. It's you drive a dirt road and everyone waves. It's, it's interesting. Yeah. And it it reminds me a little bit about what I hear about and what I've had a minor experiences of of what happens in disaster, which is you know the main theme of the show, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, and I wonder whether it's just because when we're far away from civilization and like we, the alienation of society or civilization or whatever the fuck, I don't know what we call this, but you know, the alienation drifts away when mm-hmm. we're um, in these places that don't have as many structures in place or like, like what do you think it is? Why is it if someone's passed out in the street in a city, everyone walks by them and it's like, Oh, you know, that person didn't take care of themselves so fuck them right yeah it's you're you're absolutely right it's 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 an interesting phenomenon i I think it 
I think it has something to do with when you're away from that safety net of society, when you're away from like, oh, it's mm-hmm. just, an ambulance is just a 911 call away. Someone else will do it. Someone else has done it. Um, when you're out there and you you know that, oh, I haven't seen anyone in two hours and here's this person who's injured, uh, you know that like you are the only ah. I, I think that's part of it. And also like maybe a sense of, Mm-hmm. Well, I would want someone to help me in this situation. And I, you know, when we're in the woods, we, we see ourselves potentially in more risky situations. I don't know. Yeah. It's, it, it, it is. No, that, that bystander effect. Go ahead. No, I, I'm just, if, you know, it's that, or it's just, you know, when you're away from all of this modern, everything we've built, it, people are just are how they naturally are, which is helpful and kind. Yeah. And, and that's, what's so interesting to me about it is the, like, because people talk about like a lot of preppers, especially like the center, right preppers and things will talk about like backwoods skills as the most important prepping skills. And overall, I don't think that that's true. Although I think backwoods skills are great and Mm -hmm. I'm personally trying to work on mine. Um, but maybe it's like, they're getting the wrong things out of it. Right. Like, I mean, it's cool to know how to hit squirrels with axes and skin them or whatever. Mm -hmm. But, um, knowing how, like returning to this, we take care of us thing, returning to this sense of like, we're in this together. Um, maybe that's the more important backwoods skill. (laughs) Yeah. Honestly, it's, it's, it's wild. You have, you know, just the, the, the interactions you have when you're just far enough away where you're not, you know, close enough to society. Everyone's, everyone's really yeah. friendly. Yeah. It's my job really easy. Okay. So yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. I always <laughs> have like, when I talk to park rangers of various types, they're usually fairly happy and not yeah. like smiling for, because they have to for work. Well, it's like a customer service job at its oh. core. But you're talking with the the crowd of people that are like we were just talking about going to go out into the woods and say hi to every person they see. And they're like going off and they're spending their free time to go do this. Like it's a very specific crowd of people. And it's very like, okay, yeah, it's going to be different. Very rarely do I ever have like difficult interactions with people. Yeah. So with search and rescue. Yes. um, a couple questions about it. Okay, one, the least, the most specific, sometimes I like to just ask the most specific question that's on my mind, which is, okay, so I carry, like, when I hike, mm-hmm. I carry a Garmin inReach, maybe yeah. two. I carry a, an SOS device and a satellite, a satellite communicator, right? Um, and it's the most expensive thing on my fucking pack. It probably costs as much as the rest of my pack. <laughs> um, but I like having the, because I hike by myself. I hike by myself or with, well, with my dog. Um, and this seems like overall a very good thing. I'm very glad I have it, but I keep wondering, especially like when compared with like, like smartwatches that can send SOSs and like now phones can send SOSs. Are y'all like buried under fake SOS calls now? So no, not, not really. Um, we haven't, I feel like it's just that like new iPhone, I think that does that SOS, but I don't think we have enough of those out there just yet. Mm -hmm. Really? see a lot of that um but the inreaches are my goodness like gold standard those things 
it's absolutely amazing how much help streamline the search and rescue process and get people to the care that they need quick. Cool. Yeah, like there's numerous situations I can think of off the top of my head where an individual would have potential would likely have have died if they didn't have an in reach. Um, yeah, I, I am sold yeah. on those things. I to the point, so I, you know, they're they're just the absolute best. And there's a different brands, not in reach specifically. There's I, a couple other varieties. You know, I'm not here to sell Garmin products or anything, but um, anything that you can press a button and call 911 is huge. Right. They haven't sent us one for free. Okay. Yeah, it's funny because ever since I bought the Garmin in reach, I, I, I'm on their like mailing list. And so mm-hmm. I get the like, like once a month they send a story of like this man survived because on a ledge for six hours because of his garment in reach too yeah and it's like clearly sales propaganda but it's uh-huh. also like true in this yeah. case well, yeah. I mean, i've just last year um, we had an individual who had was experiencing heat stroke um was getting like combative mm-hmm. with the rescuers they were in such a bad way and if they had not had the inreach, that person, mm-hmm. they were like 15, 20 miles from the nearest road. If they had not had that inreach for us to be able to get a helicopter there like quickly, it would have been a lot of a much different mission for us. Um, so, yeah, it's yeah, those things are amazing. Yeah. Um, so if you're listening, Garmin, <laughs> um, send us free ones <laughs> there you go. Uh, to give to our listeners. Garmin kind of stinks because you have to pay the fee, like the monthly whatever, in order to pay for it. Like the be- the only like real benefit it has over some of the other ones is that you can send messages. But the other ones, I think Spot is a yeah. real simple one. You just buy once, you don't have to pay things, and you just like jam a button and it's good. Um, also, most boats have yeah. them. So if you have access to a sailboat, you could probably find okay. it. Okay. <laughs> okay. Now that. That actually, oh, that's funny. Um, I mean, one of the things, the only thing I've ever used my Garmin for, right, is mm-hmm. is the text communication. And the yeah. so for anyone who's listening, it's a small device. It's like, it looks like a miniature walkie-talkie. It's smaller than my cell phone, but it's like chunky. And um, it's a satellite communicator. I pay a monthly fee. I think it's like 10 bucks. You can pause it whenever you want. So if you're not going to go anywhere for six months, you can stop. Um and it gives you like basically a phone number that you can text anywhere you can see the sky in the world. Um, and then you're paying, you know, 25 cents a text or I'm making that number up. I don't remember how much money it is. Um, it's around that. Actually. And yeah. And I, and the, and so it gives you an SOS button, which calls for help and tells people where you are or initiates communications with the responders. Mm-hmm. And it also just lets you like, it Bluetooths to your phone or you can very slowly and annoyingly type on this like weird thing. Um, it doesn't have a touch screen. And, uh, and, and so and one of the reasons I actually do like them, that model is that like, I don't want to interact with authorities unless I absolutely need to. Right. Yeah. And I absolutely will press the yeah. like, please save my life button. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, but there's a lot more situations where it's just like, Oh, I'm going to go be off grid for a week. It would be really nice to know. Like recently yeah. I was um, off camping in the backwoods while 
not really the backwoods. I'm, I'm playing myself up. I was a fucking <laughs> that was a Joshua tree. Um, I didn't have cell service. That's and neat. if you don't have cell service, uh, and my aunt was in the hospital, and I just wanted to know if anything happened to her, and so it was nice to know that I was able to be reached. Yeah, yeah, and that's um, that's huge. Um, but you know, I do a lot of solo travel too, and so it's nice to be able to just because you can send your track as well. You can send like, oh, this here, you can follow me on the website. And so like, you can just send a link and initiate your tracking. Like I'm going to go off trail and scramble up this little peak here. Like go ahead and follow along. Um, It's kind of nice, nice reassuring at least. Uh, But then you're connecting with that outside world, which takes away that part of the wilderness a little bit. I know (laughs) I was going to say that part of it and I feel bad saying it, but like, it's true. Everywhere has cell service now, and I'm like, not always glad. Yeah, um, it's nice when uh, you can't. Be okay, reached. well, what? Go ahead. I was just saying, it's nice when you can't be yeah. reached. Yeah. For anyone who's listening, is wondering why the conversation. It, um, we both have shitty internet, and so there's <laughs> lag, and that's what you all are listening to. Um, which is the fun thing about two people in a rural situation trying to record a podcast together, and. So, okay, so you go and you do search and rescue. And I have two questions about that. I have more yeah. questions about that. The Garmin was my, like, weird specific one. Um, what are people doing? What are the main takeaways that you're learning that you see hikers or campers or all vehicle, all-terrain, whatever, yeah. off-roaders, whatever? Like, what are people doing that puts them in these situations where they need rescue? Like, what what lessons can you impart to our audience from having seen people both live and die in bad situations? In the yeah. Parks? I think the biggest thing, so it kind of depends on where, where we are. If we're talking about like the close in day hiking trails, the folks that are just out for a vacation mm-hmm. and like maybe doing a hike in flip flops for that, we're looking at like a lot of mm-hmm. the basic, like, you know, they dehydration, twisted ankles, things like that. You know, people that don't hike a lot are going out and suddenly doing a, what may be for them a really strenuous hike. And so uh, those sorts of like broken mm-hmm. ankle dehydration, whatever medical issues, you know, grandma doesn't really hike and she's suddenly climbing up some switchbacks and, you know, has some some sort of condition that, that causes her to go down or something like that. So um, that's what happens kind of in the front country. In the backcountry, when you're like really a little bit deeper out into the wilderness, oftentimes what gets people into the most trouble is they are overextending themselves. They are Mm -hmm. um, pushing past what they are really kind of capable of doing. Um, Oftentimes you get a lot of like the weekend warriors who maybe haven't done a ton of hiking who really decide like, I want to do this one hike because I saw it on Instagram and I've got to do it because it looks really cool and it's way Mm -hmm. above where their skills are at and they maybe go on too hot of a day and they don't have enough electrolytes. And so we still get a variety of, you know, the whole gambit of issues that can arise when you're out in the backcountry. but usually it all stems from like, pushing themselves beyond what they should do for their capabilities. Um, yeah. Okay. And then the occasional like whoopsie daisies breaking an ankle. So it's actually kind of the same thing as the front country. Yeah. I mean, you're right in a, in a sense, I don't, 
yeah, it's just more of, yeah, you're right. It, it ultimately comes down to just going beyond what you're, you know, expecting yourself to go do more than what you're actually able to do. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So are the majority of things heat related and ankle related? Oh, <laughs> yeah. Those are the two big examples. Those are honestly kind of the most often are lower leg injuries. You just, you step wrong and you mess up an ankle and then dehydration mm-hmm. and like heat illnesses. Um, that's like probably a solid, like 80% of what we see on a day-to-day basis. And those are all easily resolved. You know, they're, they're the quick in and out couple hours it's done. Um, go in, bring some electrolytes to someone, bring them back up and you just walk out, make sure they're okay. Or if it's an ankle quickly pop up there and, they're close enough, get in some crutches and help them get out. Um, get them okay. in a litter and wheel them out if you need to. Um, okay. So the reason that I'm like the ankle thing. Yeah. Yeah. I watch way too much like hiking YouTube. I wear <laughs> just because I'm an old punk. Uh-huh. I wear boots all, all okay. day, every day. Yeah. I used to wear big, stupid steel toe boots and hike mm-hmm. in them. And now I wear like, tactical boots because they have side zippers and they're lighter and I like them more. Um, yeah. Not aesthetically, honestly, but for my life. But, yeah. but all the hikers I know are all obsessed with trail runners and everyone is like, no one actually yeah. rolls an ankle. What are you talking about? But you're telling me that people roll ankles. Yeah. Um, the people that roll ankles are usually in boots, surprisingly enough. Um, oh, shit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, if you're, you're like using trail runners, um, oftentimes you're like strengthening your ankles and allowing that movement in your oh, ankle, fuck. you know, cause like the trail runners usually coincides with like lighter pack weight as well. Um, so you have light, less weight, That's true. less yeah. risk. You're able to actually like move with you rolling an ankle. So like, yeah, like I occasionally like step weird, my ankle twists, but like, I'm not locked into something where now all of my body weight is going to be over that. I can quickly adjust and like be fine. Um, but yeah, it's usually the, the boots oh, that you're seeing the ankle injuries with, but like <laughs> if it worked for you, then hike your own hike. I try not to judge people for their gear. Um, but yeah, the, the trail runner cult is real and for good reason. <laughs> yeah. You're a trail runner guy. Okay. Okay. I only wear boots. I mean, everyone snow. I know who's actually an outdoors person. Yeah. <laughs> so Those trail runners. Okay. Yeah. I mean, at least like, um, you know, I, 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 my friend Carrot was on talking about ultralight hiking and, and through mm-hmm. hiking. And, um, and, and you can hear in that episode, me slowly getting sold on lightweight hiking. <laughs> I've always been like a maximalist. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And in my, my defense, I'm like, well, I used to live out of a backpack. I like know all about yeah. carrying weight many, many miles. Mm-hmm. I was 25 when I lived out of a backpack. <laughs> I am a. F- um, is that like meme of, from Aqua Teen Hunger Force? I am a full 30 or 40 years old and I don't need this anymore. Yeah. Um, <laughs> okay. Uh, okay. Yeah. Um, Join the future. So you would overall. <laughs> suggest that lighter pack weight and trail runners might be a safer method than making sure that you carry everything that would be in a Dungeons and Dragons adventuring pack. Yeah. Um, 
honestly, you know, people aren't used to usually carrying like 40 pounds on their back. Like it's not something humans normally do on a day-to-day basis, but like 20 is like not that much different. And most people can move pretty much the same way if they've got 20, but with 40, Mm -hmm. you're like, you're lumbering, um, much more prone to the trips and falls and not being able to place your feet quickly and nicely. So, but Okay. Ultimately, it's, you know, then there's a trade off of like you're carrying less stuff, probably less robust stuff. You're relying on yeah doubling things up, multi use stuff. So it's kind of like it's a trade off. No, and that it's really interesting to me because like what we were talking about earlier about people taking care of each other in the backwoods, I was, I was mm-hmm. thinking about how camping and hiking and outdoors stuff in a way is like making a hobby out of a little apocalypse. You're going somewhere where you have only, you can only rely on what's around you, the, mm-hmm. the people around you and the stuff that you've brought. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. And so that leads me towards my like vaguely maximus. Like what I do now is that like my pack is a weird lightweight maximalism. I like still uh-huh. want, like I carry P cord, right? Um, and that's yeah. like not in an ultralight hike pack. Um, but I'm also not through hiking, so I'm kind of like yeah. whatever. Um, Who cares? Yeah. And but I don't carry like 50 foot of climb line, you know. <laughs> um, and like like I'm not set to repel. I could repel yeah. in an emergency with my fucking P cord, and it would be a bad <laughs> idea. But I would do it if I had to. Right? Terrifying. You know. <laughs> Yeah, no, I would double it up and then be terrified. Uh, <laughs> don't do. No one should listen to me. That's yeah. why I have experts don't on. Um, okay, got it. All right. So everyone, <laughs> make sure to propel with a P cord. If you're not, you're not ultra like. Um, so, okay. So, I tended. I expected the answer to be like, "What goes wrong in the backcountry?" I expected it to be like, "People aren't prepared." Right. Because I have this like yeah. tendency to think like preparedness and like, yeah. But what you're saying is that it's the different kind of prepared. People are yeah. overestimating their capacity rather than running into a problem that they don't have the wand of magic yeah. missiles that can solve or yeah. whatever. Most of the All issues right. we see are not solved by some like gizmo that you carry. It's usually right. like your preparedness, your like physical ability, things like that. You know, some little tool in your pack, like for the most part, isn't what we're, aren't going to prevent the issues that we see. Right. Yeah. But sometimes they're fun, like a walkie talkie. <laughs> oh yeah. They're great. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Okay. Um, Oh, okay. So while we're, I say, is most of what you're doing like day to day, hanging out at a backcountry office or the office of, what do you do in your day to day? I just yeah. asked that. Um, so like about half of my days, I am behind a desk in the front country, just chatting with mm-hmm. people, um, pointing out day hikes. I issue permits for backpacking, things like that. And I have my always got my mm-hmm. SAR pack there ready in case something pops off that I can quickly mm-hmm. go hustle up trail to help with. 
Um, and then the other half of my time, I am in the fields, in the backcountry, hiking around, um, chatting with folks, making sure that they're not feeding the bears, and I get to point out cool flowers and frogs to people. It's pretty cool. Explore That's new cool. routes, try to find shortcuts into places for quick access for search and rescue teams. It's a cool job. Does your backcountry pack including a, include a full SAR setup? It does, yeah. So I, but a full SAR setup isn't. I should correct that. It does not have a full SAR setup because I don't carry a helmet with me um, when I'm in the okay. backcountry. Um, and whenever we're on SAR, we always got helmets. Um, like the like Team Wendy bump helmet climbing thing? helmets, yeah. Like climbing helmets because we're okay. often like doing off trail stuff in the dark and weird weather and they were getting way too many search and rescue personnel getting like head injuries. And the last thing you want out there is to like bonk your head on a tree, you know, head injuries bleed a lot. They're not usually scary, mm -hmm. but like a cut on your forehead is like, looks scary. And so it's just too much to deal with in the backcountry. So we got to wear helmets even when we're hiking for SAR. It's kind of silly. Okay. <laughs> so all hikers should wear helmets at all times. Yes, that's what I'm saying. <laughs> yeah, cool. Um, maximalism. That's what you're here to promote. Yeah. Um, yep. <laughs> so how heavy is your backcountry pack? Yeah, um, I actually got it loaded up right here because I'm heading out after this. But it is, right now, it's probably about 25 pounds-ish. And that's loaded for three okay. days um, with overnight gear, food, extra SAR stuff. SAR stuff isn't that much more in addition. It's just a little bit more robust it's... things. Like I carry a bunch of like hand warmers. Mm -hmm. I carry just mm -hmm. extra radio batteries. Um, and like a big emer heavy duty like tarp emergency blanket. Mm -hmm. And then just enough layers where I can like stand outside all night long and not need shelter. Um, other than that. Okay. Eye pro, ear pro, gloves. Yeah. Not much different that you really need. Um, any like specialized equipment is coming to you or you would start out from the trailhead with it. I see. So it's not yeah. like you're carrying the larger first aid kit? No, I mean, I've got a decent sized first aid kit, but most of the time um, my first aid kit is for me. And when I'm mm -hmm. treating, when I'm helping someone, I'm using their first aid kit. And I've got some extra stuff for like bigger injuries. But for the most mm -hmm. part, I'm like, if you're injured on the trail, I'm finding your first aid kit and I'm going through that first. Um, okay. Yeah. So there's like a cool I mean, special type of band-aid I mean. that you like. Make sure that you put that in your first aid kit. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Everyone needs a full suture kit. And because oh, everyone needs uh, at least three Sam splints. Um, <laughs> oh, Sam splints are great, but they're just so big. <laughs> I know I can't. They're never in my pack. And I always sort of wish it was, but it never is. It, it doesn't even my maximalism doesn't put my Sam splint yeah. in my my pack. Um, but I'm also it's, not like a it's funny you mentioned the suture kit. I actually have a story about someone carrying a suture kit in the wilderness and it working out well. <laughs> Oh, 
Okay. They, it was in Boy Scouts. And yeah, we were out hiking and one of the adults with us was a dentist and like way maximalist overpacked. He had like an 85 pound pack, mm-hmm. but he had a full suture kit. And lo and behold, someone fell and like gashed their knee open, like incredibly deep. It was like a big bleed. Mm-hmm. There he was. Sewed it right up on trail. <laughs> Hell yeah. It was pretty cool. But I don't know if it was worth all of that extra weight. I mean, it was, I guess, but <laughs> yeah, I am so I, I I love talking to people about this stuff because I'm so torn between yeah my like my I mean, the main pack that I carry, I, I just go day hiking most of the time right now and car camping. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the currently I used to basically backpack for a, not a living, but, you know, I lived out yeah. of a backpack, right? You're a um, professional backpacker. Yeah. Um, and, and, and now I just have like a day hiking pack and it, it has, you know, it, it probably more stuff than I need, but I'm not pushing myself super hard on how long I'm hiking. Mm-hmm. Um, I have a dog with me who provides a natural limit into how much I can hike. I can't push myself yeah. too hard. Um, I actually don't go out too much in the summer, frankly, because my dog does not like the heat. He is a cold weather dog who loves the snow. Um, I have bad news for him about the coming world. Um, but, but I am a little bit maximalist. And so I, I try, I'm trying so hard to pare it down. Um, and, and it's so hard, but okay. Um, all right. So I have so much more I want to ask you about SAR. Um, do you know much, like, do you all ever work with volunteers when you do SAR? Like, do you have like, okay, so most yeah. of the SAR calls you get are like someone like calls in and is like, I, I fell, my ankle's fucked. I can't walk home. And whether yep. it's someone on a switchback in the front country or whether they're 20 miles in or whatever. Um, yeah. Do you like, like how often is it? I mean, I don't know. This is almost like the, well, I'm not gonna put this in the title. So it's not clickbait, but like how often is it like, Oh shit, we have to get there in time. Someone's dying or like you find corpses or all the gnarly. Yeah. Intense stuff. So usually, usually every day there's something small happening. Small meaning like, Mm -hmm. Oh, someone twisted their ankle quarter mile up trail from the visitor center. Um, Mm -hmm. Every, it's usually probably three or four every summer, big ones that have uh, a big outcome, like where it it ropes in a lot of folks and ends up being a kind of a a big incident. Um, Mm -hmm. Usually, yeah, three or four, but they can also resolve incredibly quickly too. So you can have a major thing that is from the time of knowing about it, it's within an hour, it's completely resolved. You know, if you have a helicopter around and someone's like impaled with an ice axe or something like that, we can quickly get them out to a hospital, like within an hour, uh, if we have, if we have to okay. rush. Yeah. Okay. Um, so only hike with a helicopter, bring a helicopter with you. Yes. Bring a helicopter in your maximum. Pack. <laughs> okay. Um, Okay. And then, okay. So I want to ask, I guess I asked a version of this, but it's like, okay, so you're mostly saying like bring electrolytes and don't push yourself too hard. Are there other Mm -hmm. things that people like get wrong or even sort of get right about 
about backpacking or about just like spending a bunch of time in the outdoors, whether it's day hikes or not? Yeah, I think what people can get wrong is that like tunnel focus on the destination of like, I have to get here mm-hmm. because all trail says that's a cool hike and it says it's moderate. So I have mm-hmm. to do it. Um, that's yeah. Same vein of thinking of like people pushing themselves where people get right is folks are usually have like their 10 essentials. Like people usually have like a backpack and like a water bottle and some way to treat water. Um, mm-hmm. something like that. And they, um, most folks these days have like the navigation. They've got all trails on their phone. They've got ways to get away, like get around. So we don't see too many folks getting lost these days, which is at least in my current park, which is kind of nice. Yeah. That's, that's cool. Like, cause I, I only read, like I read some article about how ski slopes have like local cops near a ski slope have stopped responding to the like Apple watch. This person fell um, oh gosh! Because, because yeah. there's like something in skiing that sets it off on your watch or something, you know. Um, wow. And and so I like have mostly read about the like here's how technology is like making some things like more complicated and worse. Yeah. Um, but it makes sense to me that. Yeah, I don't know. It's easy to. I don't get lost anymore. My phone tells me where to go. If I like, I mean, the closest I've come, right. Is you, you go hiking and you're like, shit, I didn't charge my phone enough. Or like, Mm -hmm. um, or I always assume that in my day pack, I have a, a spare battery. And then like one day I was like, I apparently (laughs) didn't bring my battery in my pack, you know? Um, so I died. No, I clearly didn't. Um, (laughs) but no, it's it's cool to hear that people are are getting lost less. Mm-hmm. Um, and even I think that that also even applies to the like outdoors as mini apocalypse type thing is that um, mm-hmm. it helps to like know that there's certain. I mean, obviously we rely on certain technologies that may or may not work in different situations, right? Like if we're entirely reliant on uh, cell service and cell service is no longer available, or yeah. I don't know, whatever. Um, all right, I'm trying to think of what the what the other things I feel like there's like, okay, well one, I want to ask you what water filter you use the water <laughs> treatment system you use. Uh, I use a Sawyer. Sawyer squeeze. Yeah. Cool. Put it right on my little water bottle. I like literally have my pack right here. <laughs> yeah. No, I got really excited when you said that. Cause I, I, yeah. I like, I make fun of how like preppers always like nerd out about, um, gear. But yeah. it's just impossible not to. If you get involved in a hobby or yep. an interest, at some point you're going to be like, but what did you yep. use? Like, you know, um, so. Uh, but having a way to do it. Yeah, like Sawyer Squeeze. Uh, Sawyer is what I used when I lived off grid at the beginning of the pandemic yeah. and needed to filter all my water. Um, so You're great. They're cheap. Um, Buy them in any outdoor store. It's kind of nice. Yeah. All right. The sad question, maybe unless the answer isn't sad. How have you seen working at one place for 10 years? I assume, whatever. I think you've been there for 10 years. I've worked in Um, two different parks, but yeah, 10 years. Okay. How has climate change affected, like you see the outdoors every year. What's been changing and what are, 
What are people around you saying and thinking? Like, how seriously are people taking it? And what's yeah. happening? We uh, all kind of collectively acknowledge that, especially like the the group of seasonals that are like, that I'm like working with, we all kind of acknowledge that like, yeah, we get to be frontline watching these places go through the changes for, you know, climate change. Um, we're going to be like mm-hmm. documenting these in our patrol reports of like how the snow melt is different from year to year and what the new normals are. Um, and it's kind of a weird, like, yeah, like well, somebody's got to document it. And so we're, we're here for that. And it's, yeah, it's, it's sad. It's like a collective, like, oh shit, we're going to see this place, these places change. Um, and we're going to, we're going to be documenting that and recording that and being that, that data collection, at least from like firsthand accounts. So, um, yeah, you know, it's tough when we're just, you know, we're just little (laughs) patrol rangers don't have really much power other than just communicating to people. That's one of the things I like to talk about. And I like point out things on a map is like, Oh yeah. Do you see this? Like this glacier was here and now it's way up here and it's receding this much every year. So we have that power to communicate it with people, but it's a, it's a tough part of the job. Let's put it like that. Yeah. It, it, I don't know. Climate grief is a, at some point I just need to do an episode on climate grief. Because it's something that like we all sort of avoid thinking about, even when you're like doing preparedness. Like part of the point of doing preparedness, from my point of view, is to like avoid thinking about like yeah how things might go. Um, yeah. What have been people's responses? Like, do you do you run across? Are most people? Because if you hang out on Twitter, anytime someone yeah. says, "Hey, this is the hottest day ever. This is a problem," mm-hmm. you have like fifty blue check marks who may or may not be real people being like. Mm-hmm everything's seasonal you idiots yeah. like do you run across those people in like a 50 50 to regular no to people who the actually understand what's majority, happening the vast majority of people that i talk to about that stuff first off i'm talking usually mm-hmm. to backpackers so it's a, usually like a certain crowd mm-hmm. of people and like national park backpackers as well which is also like a self like a selective yeah. crowd um and so mm-hmm. most people are like acknowledge the reality of climate change and recognize like, oh my gosh, this is a changing landscape now. Occasionally though, I get the the person that <laughs> is like, oh, climate change, that's, mm-hmm. these glaciers, they always grow and shrink. What are you talking about? And it's a, it's a delicate mm-hmm. manner, you know, to talk my way out of that one because I'm in uniform and everything. Yeah. You know, <laughs> just like pull a gun and chase him out of the park <laughs> that'd be nice like what are you doing here why are you here go away no no yeah no. Like, be friendly and uh, i don't know show them yeah. pictures of where the glaciers used to be no that makes sense no and actually i mean i actually i think if anything is going to get us out of well obviously there's no stopping yeah. climate change right like there's mitigating the mm-hmm. worst impacts both in terms of the chain level of change and how that change affects mm-hmm. us um but like we're well past the like we're like actually in it now you know but i do think still that like getting people like changing Mm -hmm. people's minds is it still actually matters and it still actually 
um, you know, there's this like counter information program that's designed to destroy the fucking earth and we have yeah. to counter it. Um, yeah. And okay. I have a non-climate change cool. related question. Um, and it's the last one I have is on my, my list that I'm going to ask you if you have anything that I should have been asking you. What can folks, you, you deal with a lot of different people mm-hmm. coming in and you talked about like different people overestimating their, their levels of ability and stuff. And sometimes when I run across like outdoorsy stuff, there's like this macho culture yeah. of like who can do the most vertical feet and who can, uh, you know, walk the furthest in the worst climate. It's actually almost cool that the weird macho thing about gear is to have us <laughs> be lighter instead of yep. heavier. Um, but, um, which is the opposite of what I, what I would expect it, you know, but how can people of different levels of ability, like one of the things that I like about, we didn't really talk about the problems with the park service. Oh, yeah. Um, I think that that's just like conversation, a thing, um, yeah. right. You know, the park service comes from a, a very bad place. Mm-hmm. Um, and so does all of the United States. Right. Um, and yes, you know, like you talked earlier about like private yeah. versus public and, you know, and it's like, is giving yuppies a safe taste of the wilderness for a private company, like more ethical than working for the federal government. I, I don't actually think yeah. so. Um, I think everyone has to do different things in order to yeah. survive, but, um, well, actually, I guess I'm now bringing yeah, that up. If you yeah. have anything you want to say about that, we could talk about no, that. We don't have to. Fine. I don't mind. All right. Yeah, it's uh, it's tough. You know, I, I love these places. It's not my land, though. You know, I'm on indigenous land is where I work. And it's mm-hmm. it is a tough aspect to kind of try to reconcile because I love my job and these I'm happy these places are protected. Um but also, like, I don't know if, like, you know, I'm I'm white. Like, I don't know if I should be the person in the backcountry telling people not to step on the wildflowers, you know. Um, I'll do it because the job is there. Right. And it honestly, I couldn't imagine doing something else. But if that land got returned to the indigenous tribes tomorrow, I would be all for it. Yeah. You know, it's, it's a, yeah, it's a tough one to reconcile. And they're, they're starting to, to make moves. Um you know, just the other day, I got to go through all of our little laminated maps and sharpie out one of the names for a lake because it used to be a really offensive name for indigenous women. And now it's not that anymore. It's like a local indigenous word for That's grandmother. Funny. And it's like, wonderful. I get to cross this out and write in the new name yeah. on this map. Like, that's fun. Um, but also, yeah, you know, yeah, it's still not the tribe's land anymore. So, I don't know. Yeah. It's tough. No, it makes sense. And, I mean, when I think about the National Park Service, I think about a lot of really negative things. And then I also think about how, like, as a, when I was doing forest defense, the National Forest Service is part of the Department mm-hmm. of Agriculture. And national forests exist federally not to be protected but to be harvested. Yeah. Um, and any like people use or a nature use that and people are nature, but you know, um, that comes along the way is like a byproduct. Yeah. You know, um, and 
yeah, that's the, the it's weird because the park services are like parts of them and mo- some of them more than others are like theme park for nature <laughs> yeah. and there's like all kinds of complicated things. And, but it's also like, I remember at one point I was in Yosemite and I was like on a, um, a raised walkway mm-hmm. to go see some falls. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, you know, it fucking rules that these falls are wheelchair yeah. accessible. Like that's cool. And it's interesting to me that there's, there are people working to try and figure out how to balance access and preservation. And so even though it comes from this, I don't know, whatever, I'm not trying to be like, so the park service is great or whatever. Right. But it's just like, it's fucking complicated. Yeah, exactly. It's, you know, you make the parks really accessible and then that degrades the quality of the resource and the, the, that solitude and that wilderness aspects. If there's you know parking lot with a thousand cars or, you know, right. 200 people on the trail, but also like, it's great that people right. can get out to these places. Um, that is the, yeah, you give a park ranger yeah. a beer and ask them, how do you balance access versus preservation? And that's a, that's a whole podcast series right there. <laughs> yeah, no, it, I would totally listen to a podcast series that both talks about like the weird fucked up place that the parks come from and like the way that they do all this bad stuff, but then also they're complicated. Like, like I remember being in a national park run cave and this little kid was like, why can't we go in that Mm -hmm. part of the cave? And the ranger was like, cause there's a bat sleeping. And the kid was like, well, what if I want to go in anyway? (laughs) And the ranger looks at this like little kid and is like, if it's between you and the bat, the bat gets the cave and you don't. <laughs> oh, and like watching the entitlement strip that. away from this little kid's eyes. And I'm like, yeah, um, I don't know. Um, well, okay. And this actually gets into the thing yeah. that I was going to ask is my, my question, which is um, what can people with different levels of ability do, yeah. right? If you're trying to get involved in, um, in, not necessarily working outdoors, but like engaging with the outdoors and you're not like totally able to just immediately, I mean, I can't fucking hike like I used to. I'm not trying to fucking go like I walk seven miles and up 2000 feet and I'm like, I am fucking done. And my dog is like, we are fucking done, (laughs) you know, but like what can people do? Like, like how to, so how make more accessible. I think the, the best way to really like, get started if you don't have that experience and really want to avoid that pitfall of like, I'm going to do this hike because, well, I saw a guide book that says I should do this hike. So I've got to do it. It's just be completely flexible with not getting to the, whatever the destination of the hike is, you know, choose something small to start off with, you know, and only do a couple miles and set a time to like turn around say like, I want to hike for, two hours and turn around in one hour, regardless of if you get to the destination Mm -hmm. or not. And really try to change your mindset from the point of the hike being to get to the viewpoint or to get to the cool cave or whatever, to being the point of the hike is to like stop and see the little things along the way. Um, Some of my favorite days are like cloudy, rainy days because I'm not looking for views on those days. I'm like focused down on like how the rain and the water makes the 
the moss look different or changes the coloration of the wood grain and things like that. Um, you know, rocks look a lot cooler in crummy weather. Um, so I think like changing your mindset to like, yeah. I'm not hiking to get somewhere. I'm hiking to be in nature can really change like your mentality mm -hmm. of, I don't have to push myself to get to that place because just around the corner, there might be a cool thing to look at. Um, and like really sit and explore and like look closely. Um, yeah. Okay. That's my advice is to treat it like a walk in the woods before, uh, a trek and then you'll eventually get better and more fit and I like more that. experience to be able to, to push on and do more extreme yeah. stuff. I like that a lot. Okay. Well, that's, that's my questions. Is there like a question you wish I had asked you or like final <sighs> thoughts or anything or no, I think the biggest thing is, is that, uh, you know, folks should get out and hike and, you know, push yourself, but, have a backup plan and uh, make sure that you don't, you know, get it over your head. Drink your electrolytes. It's hot. <laughs> yeah. What like what electrolyte do you uh, I, do you rep? What, what I do you, mean, what my, do you pack? The gold standard is the that liquid IV brand, just because it's like four times as much like electrolytes okay. than the other stuff, but it's also really expensive. So like the knockoff like store brand version of that. Mm -hmm. I've found it like a, a safe way has been, eh, it's been okay. Yeah. Okay. Um, all right. Well, everyone go outside or don't, but probably do uh, see the world while it's still around. <laughs> <laughs> um, I got to admit, that's been a big part yeah. of it for me is I'm like, but I haven't seen everywhere. Yeah. I want to see it before that doesn't happen there anymore yeah it's uh it's tough yeah <laughs> but yeah go touch yeah. really far away grass cool. <laughs> yeah well do you have anything that you want to promote or push or do you want people to follow you on the internet or support any given program or thing i wish i had thought about this before recording but i don't have i don't like having an online presence so don't don't try to find me online you you can't um <laughs> but Great. um yeah go Great. for a hike and yeah touch some grass that's really far away that's my advice that's what i'm gonna plug hell yeah Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please tell people about it. Word of mouth is the main way that podcasts spread. The other way is algorithmically, and you can influence those algorithms by liking and subscribing and commenting and doing all that fucking bullshit that um, makes me very sad to have to point out is true. You can also support making this podcast happen. Uh, several people make a uh, well, not their living doesn't doesn't come out on well often enough for that. But several people make some part of their living by making this happen, including our audio engineer and our transcriptionist. And we really appreciate your support. And you can support us on Patreon at Patreon.com/slash/Strangers in a Tangled Wilderness because this is published by Strangers in a Tangled Wilderness, which is an anarchist publishing collective that puts out podcasts and zines and books and all kinds of stuff. In particular. I want to thank 
Lord Harkin, Trickster, Princess Miranda, Ben Ben, Anonymous, Funder, Jans, Oxalis, Janice and Odell, Paige, Ali, Paparuna, Milica, Boise Mutual Aid, Theo, Hunter, Sean, SJ, Paige, Mickey, Nicole, David, Dana, Chelsea, Kat, J, Starro, Jennifer, Eleanor, Kirk, Sam, Chris, Micaiah, and Haas the Dog. Always Haas the Dog. And there's like new names on that list since the last time I read that. And that makes me really happy. There's a lot that we are trying to do as a collective that your support allows us to do. And it'll be cool. And you'll be glad. Maybe. I hope so. Anyway, uh, good luck with the apocalypse. I hope you all are building resilient communities and or learning how to make hardtack. Maybe both. Talk to you soon.